Hey, this is Dan, and thanks for tuning in to the podcast where I talk legal stuff with lawyers that I know, like, and trust. I hope you find the information really useful, and if you need legal help, that you reach out to one of these lawyers directly or drop by lawbydan.com, and I can steer you in the right direction. Here is your podcast. It's likely that you've heard of the proposed Western Sydney Aerotropolis that will see the expansion of the international airport consuming approximately 869 hectares and with it the acquisition or part acquisition of 244 properties. So all of this begs the question, what does this mean to you if you hold one of those properties? Well, to find out, today I'm with Kylie Fuentes, a law graduate at Coots, Kylie, at the outset, what essentially is a compulsory acquisition? So compulsory acquisition occurs when a government requires land or property from individuals or businesses for public purposes, such as uh, the building of an airport, (laughs) uh, roads or rail infrastructure or any infrastructure that's related to the development. So an example for the airport is even stormwater services or land for um, environment and recreational purposes. Kylie, is there more than one type of uh, acquisition? Yes, so there is um, a piece of legislation called the Land Acquisition Just Terms Compensation Act, um, and it sort of identifies that there are three different types of acquisition that can occur. So they are acquisition by agreement, compulsory acquisition, which is what most people are used to hearing about, and also owner-initiated acquisition. So I'll go into those in a little bit more detail for you. So the first type of acquisition is acquisition by agreement, uh, and that is where the landowner and the acquiring authority are able to reach an agreement about the compensation payable and the terms of the agreement. And then a contract is prepared and the sale can just sort of goes ahead like a normal sale that with uh, two private parties, okay? Um, typically, to work out the amount of compensation, there'll be valuations undertaken to help reach the agreement um, and other terms that might be relevant, such as how long the landowner is allowed to stay in the property, um, whether they stay past the date of acquisition or whether they need to move out earlier. So that's the first one, acquisition by agreement. Then there's compulsory acquisition. Now, this is largely what that that I referred to earlier relates to. So, with compulsory acquisition, you'll get an opening letter from the authority who wants to acquire the land. And what that will state is that that letter starts a period of six months that there has to be a genuine attempt of negotiation between the landowner and the government. So, that process has to go for six months as a minimum. If there is an agreement reached in that time, fantastic. It just, the amount and the other terms go ahead and it just proceeds under the compulsory acquisition process, but on the terms agreed to between the parties. However, there are times, as I'm sure you can appreciate, Dan, that negotiations don't always go well and no agreement is reached. Yeah. So when that happens... Um, the interested parties in relation to the land, whether it's the landowner, the bank with the mortgage over the property, the tenant in the property, they'll all be notified by the service of a document called a proposed acquisition notice, also known as a PAN. 
Okay, and during that, um, after that pan is served, it will state that the land will be compulsory acquired and that time frame is usually anywhere from 90 to 120 days after the notice has been served. Obviously, give or take, that's just a guide. So once that pan is actually served and that time frame is set, there's nothing to stop continued um, negotiations or trying to reach an agreement. But if that doesn't happen, then the valuer general will actually be the one to determine the compensation. Now, a landowner actually has the right to make a claim for compensation within 60 days of receiving a PAM. And what that actually does is allows the valuer general to be informed about any particular issues or concerns that the landowner might have that they want the valuer general to take into consideration. If they don't make that claim within 60 days, the valuer general is just going to go about its business and set the amount of compensation as they see fit without taking into consideration the actual situation of the landowner. So it's really important that during that 60 days, a landowner actually does make their own claim for compensation. Um, once the valuer general has independently determined the amount of compensation with reference to the law and also um, considering the comments from the landowner, then the final compensation will be determined and that will be notified to the landowner. So after that final compensation has been determined, there is 28 days for the landowner to lodge an appeal with the Land and Environment Court if they're not happy. Um, and then there are, um, their appeal rights don't actually prevent the uh, acquiring authority from paying compensation, but they have to pay a reduced amount until the matter is heard by the court. Um, and then the, the court will then take on that process. However, if the landowner is happy and they don't wish to make an appeal, uh, then the acquiring authority needs to pay the amount determined by the valuer general. So that is compulsory acquisition. And as you can see, there is a lot involved and quite a few timeframes that are really important to a landowner. The final one is owner-initiated acquisition. Now, landowners um, with land that's been reserved for public purpose under an environmental planning instrument, um, they can demonstrate hardship if it's necessary to sell the property for a pressing personal, domestic or social reason or to avoid a loss in income or also if it has become basically impossible to sell the property because it has been designated for future development. Now, that application for hardship needs to be made to the acquiring authority and then it will be assessed. There are appeal rights if the decision comes back from the acquiring authority that they don't meet the hardship uh, threshold and there is a different threshold for private property owners and for businesses. So owner-initiated acquisition is still comes under the Act, but there is a different process and different applications that apply. And Kylie, how is that compensation actually calculated? So the factors considered in compensation are actually set out under the Act. 
And um, I'll go through them in a little bit of detail for you now. So there's market value, which is a term that most people would be relatively familiar with. And what that market value factor covers is the amount that would have been paid for the land if it had been sold at the time. Okay? Special value is the next factor. And it's the financial value of any advantage in addition to the market value that the person may be entitled to compensation for, which is incidental to their own land uses. There's very few cases where land does have a special value for a particular owner. Um, and sentiment or attachment to land is not enough. So you can't say, well, oh, my family owned this property for 100 years. That's not special value. That is not going to be taken into account. So you can see that special value is not really something that is going to be uh, taken into consideration on a regular basis when determining compensation, but it is something that is allowed for. Then there's severance. Severance is an amount, um, amount of any reduction in the market value of any of the land for which the person or landowner is entitled to compensation for, and it's if part of the land is being acquired but not the whole land. So severance is the reduction in the value of the land left over because of the land that has been acquired. Then there's disturbance. Disturbance is your legal costs, valuation fees, financial costs, anything in connection with the relocation, stamp duty uh, related to the relocation. And you've got to remember that those costs, you can't just go out and, you know, have thousands and thousands of dollars spent on these things. They need to be demonstrated and they need to be considered reasonable. So. You can't go out and get 10 different valuations and go for the best one because the acquiring authority is not going to pay for 10 different valuations. Uh, so it needs to, those disturbance costs uh, need to be demonstrated as reasonable. And then, of course, there's relocation. Now, if your whole property or the part where your house sits is the part that's being, relo uh, being acquired, Relocation means you're, you're going to be moving somewhere else. How much is that going to cost you? What is that going to look like for you? So compensation for relocation is for non-financial disadvantage resulting from the, necess the necessity of having to relocate. So things that are considered here are the length of time you've resided on the land and also the inconvenience of relocating. But there is a cap in relation to relocation, and it's $75,000. Keeping in mind all of these factors are not taken into consideration for every type of acquisition, and reference to the Land Acquisition Act needs to be um, considered so that you know which types of uh, compensation apply for the type of acquisition that you are pursuing with the acquiring authority. So, Kylie, there's obviously a lot to this. What are your sort of top tips when property is, you know, has been identified for acquisition? So, absolutely do not sign any documents for the acquiring authority without getting legal advice. That is, we cannot stress how important that is because you need to make sure that you've had the opportunity to be compensated and negotiate the best deal for yourself, your family, your business, whatever the situation may be. And yes, there is a lot involved. 
So legal advice, absolutely so important. And if you remember, I referred earlier to um, disturbance costs. Your legal costs are going to be paid by the acquiring authority. So why wouldn't you take the opportunity and make sure that you have legal advice? Do not sign anything, get legal advice. Now, your next one is to engage a valuer. Once again, these costs are paid by the acquiring authority. So engaging a valuer who is independent from the acquiring authority and considers the value of the property for you is a is good so that you can look at the valuation from the acquiring authority and also consider what your valuer has said so that you have a clear understanding of what sort of compensation you will actually be entitled to, particularly from that market value factor of compensation. And just remember too that asking the acquiring authority for a full copy of the valuation if they're making you an offer is something that you should be doing. You should be asking to see what documents they are relying on in making you an offer to purchase your property. Whether it's part of the property or whether it's the whole property, it doesn't matter. They will have still obtained evaluation and you should be asking for a copy of that so that you are fully informed about the offer that they are making you. Kylie, obviously Cooch have got uh, loads of experience in this regard. if someone has, you know, received some correspondence, uh, you know, regarding a compulsory acquisition uh, of their property or, or an acquisition of another type, um, they can reach you? Yes, absolutely. Myself and Adele Vanessa are within our local government environment and planning team. We have experience acting in relation to compulsory acquisition, both for the landowner and for acquiring authorities. We're more than happy to discuss your matter and help you work out what your best course forward is. Kylie, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much, Dan. Thanks for listening to the podcast. You can find me on all social channels, including Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube with the handle Law by Dan, or simply drop by lawbydan.com. Thanks.